Hey guys, you got Christina Gilchrist here, also known as the Dialysis Warrior Blind Chick. And I'm here with my Moosey boy, my Moose the Pomsky service dog. And. Hey, uh, what about me? Oh, yeah, I have Michael Gilchrist is here. The caretaker. And this is Living on Dialysis podcast. And this is a disclaimer we are not doctors. This is just the opinion of Living on Dialysis Facebook group. And always follow up any advice you have with your team and your doctors. And again, this is just an opinion. So if you don't like it, tell me yours. Bye. Hey guys, Christina Gilcrest here. So today's gonna be a little different. Um, we don't have a Michael for this segment, so I am going it solo, and I am thrilled to announce my guest, because it's probably one of my most favorite people on the entire planet, and I may be a little biased, but we, well, I get to interview my baby girl, Tyler J. Hall. She's going to give her story on having a sick parent, and how she got through it and kind of maybe help out some other kiddos that are going through it or some other siblings that are going through it and give them kind of some ideas. So, hey, Ty. Hi. How are you? I am here. I'm, yes. You're here? Yeah. Are you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's what I was going to say. I don't know if you are. Nope. Okay, ladies, so I would like you to first just give kind of a brief summary of what's gone on so far in your life. And a then, lot. yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. And then you can kind of go into things and explain things. So, you ready? Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So, um, I was born. <laughs> That's the starting point. Um, my mom got toxemia. And then just kind of went haywire. <laughs> Had seizures, lost her eyesight, lost her kidneys. I was born with a condition called neck, which... What is that? It's where your intestines aren't fully developed as a baby. Since I was born a couple months early. You were uh, born at 30 weeks, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even know that. Yeah, but, you were. Yeah, 30 weeks. And so... um I was fed, and they didn't know that I had this condition, so I got a whole bunch of infections all throughout my body. So this condition actually involves her intestines. She was born without intestines, and they were not... She had pieces, but they were not connected. So when mm -hmm. they fed her, it literally just went into her entire body. Mm-hmm. So I got infections just everywhere, and then... At seven days old, I had to be life-flighted away to Primary Children's, put in for emergency surgery. They got all that stuff out. And then I had 80% of my large intestine. Well, not yet. Not you yet? A, you got a colostomy yeah, bag. Yeah, colostomy bag then. And then later on. You had the I colostomy got, bag for six months. Yeah, six months. And then later on, they went back in and took out part of my large and small intestine. They went back in and did the reconnect, and when they did, apparently once you mess with intestines, they try to heal themselves. So she had multiple spots in there where it had actually sealed shut. So she ended up losing 80% of her small intestine and about 
12 inches of her large intestine? That was opposite, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, that was right. Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so, so that happened. She got reconnected, and then she was amazing. Keep going. Yeah. And then, uh, as I got older, I was living with my mom. <laughs> um, dad wasn't really in the picture that much. Kind of in and out, in and out all the time. And, um... When did you realize I was sick? Probably when I was about, like... Like, actually, actually noticed. Probably second grade. Okay. Like, other times I was like, Oh, well, my mom can't do these things just because she can't do some things, you know? I didn't really think it was because you were sick. I just thought you weren't able to do them. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, yeah, she just needs to learn how. <laughs> like, okay. read. <laughs> yeah, you should have taught me, you know? Yeah, that's like, kind of how I thought as a kid. I was like, oh, she can't read? Maybe she just didn't learn <laughs> when she was a kid. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Tell them how I would, I would read. Uh, you would blow the phone screen up so big to where it was just basically one letter on the screen. And then just slide it over slowly. Yeah, and that was such a pain. So, you and I together, I asked you to start spelling out words to me, right? Yep. And so we would get the mail. And if it said, the bill is due, which it always did, she would say like, <laughs> T-H-E. I would tell her the. And then she'd say, B-I-L-L, bill. And she would spell them out for me. And so that's how... We paid our bills. That's how we, I always joke and say that Tyler started paying bills when she was like four years old. <laughs> yeah, she's she's been holding down the fort, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I definitely know how to pay those. <laughs> yeah. So keep going. Um, after that, when my mom started to get a bit more sicker after her first kidney from my uncle, was kind of like when I kind of stepped in to start helping a lot more. Like, sure, I helped from time to time, but, like, she was able to take care of it all herself. Like, independent woman, you know? Oh, ah, <laughs> thank you. I'll you still it. are, but you still are. But I um, started to help out a lot more because when she started dialysis, it really took a toll on her physically. And so I started to help take care of her, help take care of the house at the same time. Like, I just kind of learned how to maintain everything together at once. She became a professional sandwich maker. I did. I made a lot of sandwiches in that yep. time. Yep. She lived on sandwiches. And yeah, I did. Thank heavens, once we got to macaroni and cheese, that just opened up a whole new world, right? Oh, yeah. That mac and cheese. Mac yep. and cheese and bread. Same time. Yep. There you go. Okay. Keep going. Uh, so what would you do when I was... At my sickest. What would you try to stay away? Like, what was your um, internal thought? If you had a fever or if you, like, were sick with, like, an illness, I'd try to help make you soups. I'd give you medicine from time to time. I'd make sure I timed it out. I'd stay away because I didn't want to get sick myself. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you were just not feeling well during that day, I'd probably go hang out with you and try and get you feeling better that way and, like... I had a lot of times where <clears throat> I was just in a lot of pain, and it was just me and you here, 
And what would you do to distract me? I'd read to you, or I would make up stories. I was a big storyteller. That was my, truly one of my favorite things ever, is she would just make up these stories and just go wherever it led her. And it intrigued me so much, and I wanted to hear every single word she said. And so it would, it distracted me. And so that was one of my, honestly, one of my best coping mechanisms for having pain was you telling me the stories. Yeah, a story of a female pig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was one yeah. Of them. I remember it was a pig, and she went through, like, this whole day, and you were just like, wow, that was an interesting day. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Remember, yeah. It's not it a just, girl pig, though. I remember being sick in the bed, though, and I remember you jumping up there and just curling on in, being my cuddle bug, and telling me those stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of kids could do for their parents. If, if you do have a parent who's sick or a sibling, I think just kind of occupy their mind for them. Just curl up with them and make up a story. Read a book. She, she read so many books to me, and I think that's why to this day you are an avid book reader. Yeah, I, um, when I was in third grade, I actually had the um, reading level of a ninth grader at that time and then they tested me again in like fourth or fifth grade fifth grade I'm pretty sure and I had the reading level of a college student and I'll be a mommy and brag a little bit she just got a 32 on her ACT for reading so it truly did help her so much yeah and then all the others are like in their 20s <laughs> hey you didn't have to tell them that you did not have to go there, woman. It's fine. It's okay, fine. so how about junior high? How was junior high having Ugh. a sick parent? Ugh. <laughs> I'll tell you this much. So what happened when you were 11, though? Uh, when I was 11, uh, not adding all details, but I got diabetes. Yep. And Type 1 diabetic. Yep. It's great. Living Which life. Was really hard, right? Oh, yeah. It, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it sent me down a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. I, like, I, I had a lot of pent up sort of aggression towards myself for years because, like, with her, I blame myself a lot for what happened to her because she got toxemia, like, having me, you know, like, I, it happened while she was giving birth to me. Like, it just really, I had a lot of pent-up anger at myself about that. And you thought it was your fault. That For a it long time. It would not have happened if I hadn't had you. Yeah. It, I blame myself for a very, very, very long time because of that. And it just kind of spiraled down and blew up. <laughs> and so when the diabetes came along, and now you're the sick one, and you're yeah. the one having to stick needles in your own arm mm -hmm. and give yourself pokes and I actually thought the first night that I went there the next morning I was like okay I'm gonna stay here for a few days get better walk out and I'll be normal I'll yeah. be back to the same way I was and when they told me that I was gonna have to do this for the rest do it for the rest of my life I thought oh crap like how am I going to handle this and yeah. handle taking care of my mom at the same time? 
Yeah, that's that's a lot. And you were 11 years old. So honestly, at the same time, you're dealing with puberty and starting junior high. And that, that's a hard time in a kiddo's life. And you had you had a lot. And it was when you were diagnosed as a type one diabetic, I think for me, I instantly just had fear. So much fear because, of course, I'm legally blind and I have kidney failure. And we all know that diabetes, it that's what it does to you. And so hearing, knowing what I've been through for how many years I had gone through it at the time. And just even slightly thinking you could end up with my life was terrifying for me. And I'm sure, did you ever correlate that and think, whoa... Like, I might have my mom's life? Um, I mean, like, when I was younger, I didn't. Because I was more focused on, this is going to be here forever. And, but eventually, as I got older, I kind of realized, like, hey, whoa. I could have the same exact life that my mom has. I can go through the same exact thing that she does from a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and so, like... Being a type 1 diabetic, you have to follow the rules. You have to do whatever's needed to make sure your kidneys and your eyes and your blood circulation, everything stays the way it's supposed to for like your I entire to, life. I have to get my feet checked a lot because as a diabetic, you flow to, the blood flow to your feet is off and it can cause paralysis. And so I have to get my feet checked regularly. Like we get pedicures. Because yep. so, I hate feet. I hate touching my feet. I hate looking at <laughs> feet. I just despise them. So I refuse to check it myself. So we go get pedicures done to see if I can feel what they're <laughs> doing, you know? Yep. And every time we go to the doctor, they're checking out the bottom of your feet, make sure your feeling is still there. And yeah, and this is something that it's going to be forever for you, which I really like how you said... Um, that you were going to be, you were going to go home and be normal. Because I think that's a gut reaction for all of us. Anytime we're diagnosed with something or we have something of this magnitude happen, all we want is normal. And sometimes you just got to realize your normal is different. You're just going to have your own normal. You can't have the same normal as everybody else. You got to have your own. And so what helped you get to that point where you accepted being a type 1 diabetic? Um, it took a lot. Like, I mean, like, I still at times think about it. Because, like, with my recent breakup, you know, I actually thought about it a lot. Because, like, we were thinking of, like, future together and stuff. And I was, I got in a few fights with him, too about it because I was like I need to think about my future in the medical world with diabetes I'm like I need to make sure I have enough money for bills I need to make sure I have enough money for if something does happen we can figure it out together and he was more like well I just want enough money to get by and I'm like I can't have that yeah and I was like I need to think about myself and my medical in the future and you've always kind of had that in your mind going Mm -hmm. through school and now putting in for scholarships and getting ready to go to college (laughs) like it's even more you realize that 
And financially, everything just goes up in price. Nothing goes down. And so, yeah, like someday you are going to have to take over all those prescriptions and all those payments. And that's a lot to take on. Mm-hmm. Is that scare you? It does. I, Being honest, it really does. <laughs> Talk louder, woman. Yeah, I got you. I'll just... I'll start screaming. How about that? That works. That works. I'll take it. But, um, it does. Just because, like, with, I don't know, like, my thought process on it is because, like, diabetics are becoming a way more common thing. Diabetes is skyrocketing around the world. It's true. And the the only thing that's going to happen is prices are going to raise yeah. up. And up and up because supply the and demand. supply demand yep. is going to be needed more and more. And the thing is, with people, if you live with someone in your household, if you want to get to be with someone, you've got to have them make them understand that this is part of your life and you need to make it prioritized in your life. Because who I was with, he kind of was like, oh, well, we'll get by. I was like, I can't do with get by. Yeah, and I think most kiddos your age, they one, they haven't had a sick parent. They mm-hmm. haven't been sick themselves. And so they don't understand that medical is huge. And once it hits, it will be there. And you've got to be able to afford to live and get those medications for yourself, which is a lot to put on your shoulders, especially at 17. Almost 18. She'll be 18 in September, which I'm so Don't sad about. Don't remind me. I'm so sad about it. Nope. Okay, so so junior high was hard for you. We had, um, we had a lot of issues with depression. We had a lot of issues with anxiety. Um, we had a lot of trips in and out of hospitals to get help because you did. You got a lot piled on you all at once. And so... From that period, how was that going through all that depression? And how did you get through that? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I still don't know to this day. Yeah. But. By God's grace, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank thank whatever is out there for helping. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Because I just, I still don't even remember some of like, I still don't fully remember it all. Yeah. If I'm being honest, there's a lot of blurs here or yeah. there. That's a, I have the same thing with my medical. I have times that I kind of blocked out and someone brings them up and then I remember, but I don't really remember them on my own. Yeah. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, keep going. So... So luckily, somehow, we pulled through the depression, right? Still here, kind of, but at least can deal with it. <laughs> well, depression is Handle a lifelong it. condition. <laughs> yeah. So it, it will ebb and flow. It'll come and go, you know. And so you've got to be able to always look within yourself and say, okay, where am I at? Do I need help or am I good? And I know you and I have those check-ins all the time. Mm-hmm. Which you probably just love. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, but I got to make sure you're right. You know, I got to make sure you're in the right headspace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So junior high kind of came, and I think 
I would say seventh and eighth grade were the worst. Those were hard. And somehow ninth grade, you just kind of, you pulled out and you kind of found out who you were and you started focusing on grades and you started focusing on so much more than just depression. Would you say so? I mean, yeah, that's probably the best year I've had grades ever. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Even though you do a, you do a great job with your grades. You do, honey. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't have too many complaints. Gotcha. To have a, <laughs> to have a, to have a cumulative of 3.5 is incredible. So be proud of yourself. Yeah. You're too many complaints. Yeah. Not too many. There's a couple. There's oh, wow. A couple. Thanks. I'll, I'll own that. Okay, so then high school came. How yeah. was high school? Uh, definitely 10th grade was still kind of, uh, it was still kind of. Finding who you were. Kind of there. 11th grade. What about my health when you were in junior high and high school? Did that junior high have any effect on you? I mean, like, junior high, I was kind of like, okay. I was more distressed about, like... Your stuff. Well, that and the same time of taking care of you after. Like, I was trying to put you before myself, but then my mind would be like, oh, well, what if this happened to you or this happened to you? You won't be there for her. Or, yeah, that what was a lot she... of your anxiety, right? Yeah. Yeah, you would and... go to school and be afraid you'd come home and Mama's not here anymore, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, which has to be hard. How do you focus on school when you're... Always wondering if your mom's going to be okay, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you, how'd you pull that off? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I definitely, during high school was, junior high, I just worried about it constantly. High yeah. school definitely got past all the hormones. <laughs> okay. Like, I started getting used to being, being a girl. Yeah, being here, being here <laughs> emotional right yeah yeah but and then like 11th grade definitely was when i pulled myself back together mainly yeah 10th grade i was still kind of in the corner you know 11th grade though i started actually talking to a lot more people started getting out more kind of embracing who you were i was always really impressed that um you always Throughout all of it, you knew who you were. You knew what you stood for. And you knew the things you cared about and the things you didn't. And I thought that was really impressive because when I was a kid, I, I just wanted to be cool. <laughs> if I was cool, then all my goals were met. And I think it's interesting having a child that's so opposite of that because you're so intelligent and you thought about things that were just not even on my radar during junior high and high school yeah and like now with next year my senior year definitely thinking it's probably going to be one of my better years oh it's going to be a great year because like drama definitely drama find something you like that's for sure something that you enjoy to bring you out more like it's it helps a lot. I remember we, we did the plays for you. We did plays each year, and even if I didn't feel good, we made it happen, and we got you there. And those, those just lit you up. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were something that you could have and not be scared during, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of this is finding something that you're really interested in so you do get a break away from the worry. Yeah. Like, drama is my thing. Drama is my big thing. And, like, with drama this year, I'm doing presidency at my school. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely doing a lot more with that. She's def- you've definitely pushed yourself out of your box with friends. You were really antisocial for a long time and kind of really timid to come out of your shell. And now you're, you're actually spreading your wings a bit, yeah? Yeah, definitely. So high school. So where I'm at now with my medical, we had Michael come into the picture around 6th, 7th grade. When, if, if ever... Did Michael kind of take the pressure off you? Um, after he moved in. Yeah? A little while after he moved in. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, after my depression thing, I definitely started to calm down a lot more. Yeah. It was, like, during my depression phase, though, it was still really heightened. But after that, I was kind of like, okay, I'm... I'm okay. Do you feel like having Michael here and having, like, me having kind of a partner through all this, do you feel like that did relieve pressure on you? I mean, it did. Like, I mean, I still stress out about a lot of things, you know. It's just kind of who I am. Yeah. It's kind of in my blood. <laughs> it's always been there. Yeah, it's who you but, are, yeah. But it's definitely helped a lot. Yeah, and, like, how do you feel about Michael now? Because I know in the beginning, you've your dad and you have never been close that's an understatement (laughs) yes that's true it is you've always you had your your granddad who grandma and grandpa would have gone to the moon and brought it back for you because they just adore you so much right yeah and so you had granddad as an example but what was it like actually getting a dad after so many years it was good (laughs) Yeah? yeah it was a balance right yeah you had to get used to the dad tone. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think it has helped you? Yeah. Yeah? In what ways? Oh. <laughs> I definitely think it's made you stronger. Because I tend to, I baby you a lot. And so Mike came in and he expected more out of you. And you gave it to him. Right? And so I do think that Michael has had a huge impact on you coming out of your box. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so where we're at now, how do you feel about my medical? Um, I mean, like, pretty good about it. Okay. Yeah, I used to worry about it from time to time. Just a thing. Yeah, you're always going to have that bit. But, like, when I was on PD, how would you say your level was of worry? Uh, it was okay, but it's like when you started getting your, all your pain stuff, I definitely worried a lot more. Okay, and what about in center? What do you think your worry level was at? In center? Oh, I was nuts. Yeah, I in was, center was hard. I was berserk every day. Like, even when I went with Grandpa, when you go there in center... Because I had to go with someone. I was like, is she going to be okay? Can I, like, leave her? Or, like, I want to stay here. Or, like, I definitely flip out a lot more. How did you feel the times when you were, like, sick and I had to take you to dialysis with me? 
I mean, like, I felt better being there, I think. Because, like, if something happened, I'd be there, you know? But how did you feel? Did you feel like that was something different that most kids don't do? Was that ever, did that ever register to you? No. I just thought it was a normal thing to go with your mom to the hospital or the dialysis center, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a normal sort of routine. Like, I didn't know that a normal routine was for the kids to go to a daycare center or to, like, while they while their parents are at work. My normal routine was going with my mom to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of hospital trips, right? Yeah. Remember, you used to collect stickers, from the hospitals and so every time we would go they would give you stickers and you kept them all how many stickers do you think you ended up with oh thousands (laughs) yeah they gave me like four or five each time i went with you and it was just hundreds of times i'm sure i had thousands yep and you kept all of them right they were all in a drawer i don't know where they went i I think they're in your keepsake box yeah i don't know where that is (laughs) Yeah, they're in your keepsake box. I'll show you. But, okay, so that was part of it. Um, what would you say you learned the most from having a sick parent? Um, definitely to plan for things better. Because <laughs> I know a lot of people nowadays are like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with the flow. Whatever happens, happens. And like, oh, I'm not going to put things into savings. Or like, because like a lot of my friends are like, eh, I don't need savings right now. I'm like, oh, you do. <laughs> You do, yeah, you I'm do. Like, you have no idea what's going to come up in the future. <laughs> okay, what have you learned most about you being sick? Um, plan <laughs> as well. Oh, really? Yeah, I, actually, yeah. It, because a lot of medical takes planning and takes preparation to be yeah. able to handle things. Because, like, with my diabetes and, like, with me going off to college and stuff, I'm definitely, like gonna have to plan out how to like you guys will still obviously help me but like I need a plan on how to you know help how to take over how to take over all of be it in charge of your own life because you are an independent lady and you you deserve to be independent even though you do have a sickness yeah okay well let's wrap it up what's the one thing you would tell kiddos that have a sick parent um Definitely make sure you help them if they need it, but also remember to stay a kid. Because I definitely grew up pretty fast with my mom being a single mom and me taking care of her. And I realized sooner than later that I missed out on those kids' years. But not my mom's fault. It was at my own fault. She tried to make it to where I didn't have any worry in the world. But I made it, made all her stuff my worry myself. Yeah, which is, that's okay, you know, like that was your instinct. And the thing is, as we got through it now, I think you definitely are my best friend. I could talk to you about anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that the support we have for each other is unbreakable. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thank you, Tyler, for being here. You've been wonderful. Oh, yeah. And of course I have been. See you guys later. Bye. As you guys know, we go to the AMC. We have the A-list, and uh, this week we went and saw Will the Claw Dad sing, and he was the uh, official trailer for that movie. I, like you, heard the tall tales told about the Marsh Girl. 
an abandoned child. I had a family once. They called me Kaya. A little girl surviving in the marsh on her own, reviled and shunned. Hello, Miss Kaya. I you know my muscles. Invisible. I wonder if I'm here at all. You are. I think you're gorgeous. I want to get to know you better. There's no fingerprints on the railing, great stuff. No fingerprints? Being isolated was one thing. Being hunted, quite another. The marsh girl, she killed him. I know you have a world of reasons to hate these people. No, I never hated them. They hated me. They harassed me. You want me to beg for my life? I won't. They're not deciding anything about me. Out of everything and trying to stomp it out. Life persists. Way out yonder, where the crawdads sing, the marsh knows one thing above all else. Every creature does what it must to survive. Okay, so I saw this movie with the uh, beautiful Christina and the annoying Tyler. Hi. And uh, I actually thought this movie was actually extremely good. It reminded me of The Notebook a little bit, of the love story, of how pretty much just from childhood up to being adults and being in love. And it was a sappy-ass movie, but it was actually really cute. So. I really liked it, too. I thought the ending was amazing. The ending is quite a twist. I loved it. I read the book, so I knew what was going to happen. But still seeing it in the actual theater still made me as emotional as the book. All right, so everybody wants to go see it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so we're reviewing uh, Pause of Fury. It was done by Nickelodeon, and here is the preview. I lived in a bad part of town full of bad dogs. Everybody always picked on me. I thought if I could be a samurai, it would change everything. Sounds like you need a mentor. Perhaps a once great samurai who has fallen on hard times and maybe could use some help himself. But where could I find one? What? Oh, yeah. Who even made that? It's you. Don't believe everything you read. Come on, Hank. You have to do something. You're under arrest. You wanted to be a samurai. Fun, isn't it? Go get him. Back up, 
montage, isn't it? Sometimes you need a friend. No time to see you win. Don't forget to land on your feet. the map. Send a tweet to assemble the troops. Who knew an evil army could go through so many beams? Okay, so that was the preview for Pause of Fury. Um, I actually thought this movie was kind of cheesy. I don't know if they're just trying to save money with cartoons right now, not knowing if they're going to make money, but it just seemed kind of lame to me. Um, I hear that if you liked Blazing Saddle back in the day, that you'll really enjoy this movie. It had a whole bunch of actors in it, lots of voices you would know, so uh, take your kids. Hi, I'm Tyler Burrell, and... My favorite character was Hank, and my favorite part is where they had to dig, and I really liked the movie. Okay. My name's Rebecca Burrell. My favorite character was the little samurai. My favorite part was when the little samurai was posed in front of the ninja cats, and I really liked it. Hey, guys. you got Christina here. And Michael. And... So on this episode, we're talking about having family members that are sick and how we cope with that. So we're going to have Mike talk a little bit about a family member of his that was sick. Okay, it was back in uh, 1987. My uh, sister Rebecca was born. She was born with bad lungs. And I'm sure there was a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But uh, that's pretty much the main reason she was in the hospital on a respirator. Um, now, pretty much that day, we, my dad came straight home. We got him in our Sunday best. And uh, we pretty much went to say goodbye to Rebecca. Now, this happened almost on a daily basis, weekly basis, until she ended up turning about two years old. She was in intensive care this pretty much that entire time. And I remember having to go in, put the scrubs on, having to scrub up, having to have, you know, back then, masks, hair mask, gloves. I mean, you were pretty much covered from head to toe. Um, one memory that pops out in my head quite well is uh, my dad got a video camera. And for Rebecca's first birthday, um, we were actually able to all go in the intensive care and we celebrated it with her. And it was, you know, it just kind of became typical life. And I would say I went to the hospital, not the most out of all the kids, but probably a good portion of it. I was at an age where I was too annoying to be left home alone. <laughs> And so instead of me terrorizing my brothers, you know, sorry, Chris, sorry, Pete, sorry, Mary. But so I pretty much just tagged along with my mom 
down to the hospital every single day. Now, this hospital was about 40 miles away, so pretty much we just drove every single day. My mom pretty much lived there, and uh, there's, uh, I would say, when she was about three, two, she was actually left without some oxygen, and some alarms weren't going off, or they were being ignored, and she ended up getting some brain damage from that. Um, after that, she ended up being uh, deaf and blind, or it complicated the stuff a little bit more. And our entire family went to learn how to do sign language. So we, yeah, we were actually in the newspaper because uh, our entire family went to the Ogden Deaf and School Blind school or whatever and uh, they taught us all sign language and my sister Mary and my mom actually became interpreters and my sister Mary actually served a LDS mission uh, in Texas doing sign language That's so awesome. yeah yeah it 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 was an amazing life and Rebecca eventually came home again I don't really know the age I just remember that our living room was turned into a hospital. I remember we had two big, huge oxygen tanks that were in the garage that a truck would come and fill them up on a weekly basis. And I remember there was just big chunks of ice that would form around them just because of how cold oxygen is. And then we had a special switch and a generator and we all had a job to do in case the power went out. Um, and then uh, we all learned how to put feeding tubes in her. Um, there was a thing called suctioning. I don't know if a lot of you guys will know what that is. It's basically, she had a trach pretty much her entire life. And instead of blowing your nose, the mucus had nowhere to go. So we pretty much had to, there was a tube that had a suction on it, and we had to pretty much blow a nose for her um, by suctioning a trach. Um, one vivid memory also is, again, I don't really know what happened, but we had a life flight land in our cul-de-sac, and I remember all of us kids got rushed over to the neighbor's house, we watched through the window. A lot of us didn't realize. We just thought it was cool that a helicopter was landing in our uh, front yard. But, you know, I can only imagine, you know, what my parents were going through. My, I remember my mom coming out of the house. They were bagging her, which is administering oxygen. And uh, so that's one of the last memories I have of my sister at the house. Um, for years and years, actually, whenever you gave medicine, you would, um, squirt it out of the needle to make sure that there's no air. So on our ceiling in the living room for, I swear, 20 years, there were spots of medicine on the ceiling. Like, you guys know how dark iron is. So it looked like there were just little splash marks on the ceiling. And I just remember that was because when they were going to give her a shot, they would 
make sure there's no air and it would just go shooting up. We had, you know, a team of nurses, doctors, stuff like that in our house. Um, so what, so I know that Rebecca had a few things that were like her favorites. What were her favorites? Um, one of her favorite things was, and I actually have it on display at my house, is it was a rocking show. And Rebecca absolutely adored locking in a locking show. We had a little baby one that was mine when I was a baby. And she would sit and just lock in that and lock in that. And then those, uh, those jumpers that you put on the door frame. And my dad had to reinforce the basement one just because <gasps> she would go crazy jumping on this thing. And I remember my dad reinforcing the springs and all this stuff because, you know, by this time she was, I want to say five, six. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, again, I can't remember exactly when she came home, but she was old enough to be walking, signing, stuff like that. She had, you know, stomach tube and stuff like that. What about her tricycle? Um, she absolutely loved riding on a tricycle. Um, she actually was in the Special Olympics where my dad... I, I Again, I can't remember how many miles they went. I want to say it was a 3K. But my dad put Rebecca on his shoulders and walked the entire 3K. And uh, Frank, he was a baby at that time, and he rode the trike. When Rebecca got too tired, she would ride. It, it was actually this really cool metal trike that had a uh, trailer on it that would carry her oxygen tubes and stuff like that. That's cool. And so Frank would either ride it or Frank would be in the trailer. So Frank is your youngest brother? Yes, he was the youngest brother. He was uh, the baby of the family. And so he was one, two, three, three or four years younger than Rebecca. Um, so how old were you when Rebecca was born? I would have been eight. Okay. I think, because she, she died when she was about 10, and I was 18 when she passed away. So it would have been about 8 or 9 when she was born. So how do you think, having a sister that was sick, how do you think that changed your upbringing? Well, it definitely made us value life a lot more. Um, it also made us... I mean, we were a medical family the second that she was born. Um, I am, at least growing up, I was the only kid in my school, other than my, other than my siblings, that knew how to administer CPR, and, you know, do bagging techniques on a trach, suction someone, um, and it just pretty much became second nature. I remember... Uh, when she was at a place called McKady Hospital, we would have to do uh, we'd have to do blood tests, and it, but the blood tests had to be taken to Salt Lake, so my mom would get it was actually called a blood gas blood gas, and so my mom we would go get the blood done, and then we would have to ride in the passenger seat with our hands in on a bucket of ice water. And we had to move this magnet back and forth along this blood 
to make sure it didn't clot, I guess. Oh, my goodness. And I remember we would, if it was just me, then, you know, we just kind of suffer through. But we passed this Tupperware dish between all of us, and we'd have to pretty much rush it down to the hospital. And I, I want to say that it failed almost every single time, but we had, it seemed like we had to do it all the time. Yeah. So what, what do you think, what benefits did you get from having to go through this with your family? Well, one, it made me totally value um, my mom, how dedicated my dad was. You know, my dad was the go out, make the money. So he started his own business. He, I mean, I honestly don't really remember seeing my dad very much. Because he was just working all the time. He was just providing. Um, but when we did see him, he was, you know, he was a Cub Scout leader. He took us camping. I mean, so I look back and I remember just this guy that was gone all the time. But he was a Scout leader and stuff like that. But now as an adult, I just realize how much he had to work in order to provide for one. There was nine of us. Yeah. And nine of us plus a handicapped sister that my mom was driving 40 miles. So 20, pretty much 50 miles almost on a daily basis to yeah. go see my sister. And that's so, just one way. That, well, yeah. Well, yeah. I want to say it was a round trip would be about 60 miles. But again, that's 60 miles a day. And, you know, all of us pretty much... We all learned how to cook. We all took a day. We all did the cleaning. We all did, you know, pretty much what needed to be done. Yeah, and so Rebecca was a organ donor, right? She was, and uh, in fact, every she uh, she was born on May thirteenth, and so every day on her birthday, we have a tree that we go to in Ogden. It's in the Ogden Park along the Ogden Pathway. There's flowers and everything along the way. But she has a special tree that my mom actually got with Congress and all this stuff. And there was supposed to be some laws. And I mean, there was a whole story with that one. But she got a tree planted for pretty much everybody that donated in Utah that year. And we kind of made that her memorial. Yeah. So. Which is just amazing it really is and you know it i i wouldn't i wouldn't change any of it um i definitely have a huge respect for my parents of uh having to make that agonizing choice of not continuing life yeah that must i can only imagine the weight i have a huge amount of respect for anyone that would ever have to make that choice and it's just not something a parent should ever have to do it's not and to be honest when I was younger I was actually extremely upset because I didn't understand at that time you know I was just a stupid teenager and I was extremely upset that my sister passed away yeah and now you know as an adult as a dad I totally understand it now. The magnitude of what your parents were going through. Yeah. And, you know, I was I was an asshole as a teenager. 
I pretty much every single thing that you can think that a terrible teenager did, I did. And I Do you think sit that's because you were sad about your sister? Or do you think it's just kind of who you were? No, no, I'm just an asshole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just outright. I'm just I'm just kind of a kind of a kind of an ass. Yeah. And well. uh <laughs> so so not on top of that my my parents had a handicapped sister that they dedicated their life to, but yet they dedicated their life to nine other kids. Yeah. And I I I sit, you know, our family we're not extremely sharing when it comes to stories and death and stuff like that. But some of the stories that my mom tells me about kind of like the time that Rebecca was left without oxygen. Yeah. And I see my mom as just this, I mean, she's, she's Betty. She's just this extremely nice, loving woman that you get on alongside. And it's, you yeah. know, defensive mother. Yeah. Screaming that, you know, that her daughter's being hurt. And it was something that I never, I never pictured my mom as. But it was something that I came to respect quite a lot, too. I remember you made a DVD for your parents of pictures and video of Rebecca. And I remember watching it for the first time. And Rebecca was in a crib. And there was a nurse there helping your mom. I'm not sure what exactly they were doing. But your mom looked up at the screen and I think like my heart just broke just the look on the face of a mom who is literally giving everything she has doing everything she possibly can for this baby girl it it truly was a moment I will never forget because her face was just pure agony and I think they taught me early on and people 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 ask me all the time how do I deal with a sick wife and I I I think I just learned it from my parents of you just deal yeah I remember when my daughter Mercedes was born she was put on oxygen for like the first little bit I mean it's nothing huge it was just trivial and I remember coming out of that, coming out of the emergency room, or the delivery room, and I'm just, I'm losing it. I am panicking. I am having a nervous breakdown because I pictured Rebecca. Yeah. And I remember my dad. He actually kind of pinned me up against a wall, pushed me with his shoulder, and said, "Get your ass back in there." Yeah. Stop it. It's Get your ass in dad. there. And I remember I was like, okay, you know, and, and I, you know, and ever since then, and when I was a kid, it's, it's, it's just what you do. Yeah. You know, it, it, there was no question whether I was going to handle dialysis or a sick wife or a sick kid, you know, is it, is it hard? Yeah. And was there a lot of things that we probably missed out on our childhood? Probably. But we were given so much more. Yeah. Because of Rebecca. 
And, you know, I, and. So what advice would you give to a young person who is going through the same thing and kind of, they're young, they don't know any better, but they have a sick family member and they're trying to deal. Take your time. Do stuff for yourself. Okay. Um, kind of like the movies that we do. Now, movies, I always say that they're for Christina because no matter what, you can always go see a movie. But it is my time away. It is my time for two hours when nothing is happening and it's just quiet. Um, same with riding my motorcycle, going up to the property. I have certain things that I do for myself so that I can handle all of the stresses or trials that come with a sick partner. So kind of always have your your out. Always have your out. And Christina actually knows extremely well when I say, I got to go. She knows it. It say we're arguing or something like that or, you know, just she knows when I say that everything stops and I go for a bike ride. She and it's it's just one of those mutual respect things where she knows, okay, he's going to snap if I don't. And he's and, not allowed to snap. Right. And, you know, <laughs> at the beginning, I can honestly say at the beginning, right, I had a snapping point and I never want to have that again. But I think it opened Christina's eyes, too, of that I, I've got to have things for my, myself as well. So learn everything you can when it comes to all of this stuff because you've got to know it all. But also take time for yourself. And give yourself you, a break. You can always raise your hands and say, I'm not doing anything right now. I need a break, yeah. And, you know, so... But at the same time, I've got an amazing wife that cannot say, I need a break. Her medical is just though, and we deal with it. And it's just what we do, you know, and I, and I have a saying that if I can't handle her at her sickest, so worst, then I don't deserve to have her at her best. And it's just something that we Where tell each other. Where do you think other. you got that from? My dad. Yeah. I remember my dad coming home every single day. And no matter what was going on or how many of us kids were screaming or yelling, my dad would search out the entire house, find my mom, and to me, when I was a kid, made out with her. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it was just a kiss, but I remember all of us kids going, Ew, stop it. But... No matter what my dad did, the second he came home, he found my mom and he gave her a kiss. And then life continued. Yeah. And they needed that. Yeah. And so that is uh, my story of Rebecca. I don't think I've ever told that much before. And uh, so, yeah. Well, I think you're incredible. I think your parents, they're my version of superheroes. I can't believe everything they went through and how incredible and loving and sweet they are and 
yeah, so I have big props for him too. Yep, and again, sorry mom and dad, I was an asshole all the time, but <laughs> it is what it is. So, okay, this is uh, Michael. And Christina. And this is Living on Dialysis. So pass this uh, podcast around. Um, a lot of these podcasts, you know, like today's, uh, are extremely personal, but you can learn an, an amazing lesson from all of these, you know, as a caretaker, as someone with a sick partner, as someone with a sick sibling, it's a lot of work. It is. But it's also extremely rewarding. Almost all of my memories when I was a kid involved Rebecca. In one way or another, they involved Rebecca, whether it was my mom being at the crib, me waking up early, watching movies with the nurses, um, just everything. So pass this around, learn from all of our tribulations and our trials and our successes, but uh, keep listening. Okay, thanks guys. Hey guys, welcome back to Christina's Crazy Corner. Today we have with us Tyler, Amber, and Clover. And Clover has uh-huh. promised she's actually going to talk this time. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, Ty, let's do this. All right. So because last week we did America's funniest like city names, I decided to do weird laws that we have in America. Oh, I'm excited about this. Nice. All right. So first one is you're, it's illegal to drive blindfolded in Alabama. What? Wait, what? It's illegal (laughs) to drive blindfolded in Alabama. Well, yeah, I heard that. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think of it, Clover? (laughs) You need to pay attention to this because no, you're driving test is soon. Look. <laughs> no oh blindfolds. What? Well, I can't. It's kind of well, obvious. Well, you remember, you remember when they were doing that, like, TikTok trend where teenagers were driving blindfolded and seeing how far the oh, GPS yeah. could get them? This is why. Yeah. This is why so laws sadly, like that. that law makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Well, no, I knew it makes Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Go ahead. So, another one is, it, despite the legal drinking age being 21 in America, there's a strange loophole that you can actually have if you're underage. Uh, it's if you're in culinary school in Illinois, you can consume wine under the age if you spit it out. Oh, if you spit it out? Yeah, you can't swallow it. So, like, if you're becoming a chef, you could taste it, but you couldn't drink it. Oh, just for taste? Yeah, just to taste it. But you have to be younger? Yes. Well, if you're older, Clover, you can drink it as much as you want. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but, like, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're under 21, you're going to have to spit it out. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to be in culinary school. So in you... culinary school? Yeah. <laughs> That's the stipulation. You have to be in culinary school. So if, like, oh, I don't know, if if you're really, really wanting to drink, you just go to culinary school for that? 
I would do that. Just kidding. Just, just I was going to say, say you're grounded. Okay, Ty, what's right. next? <laughs> so, another one is... Yes? Another one you can do is actually you... In Louisiana, you can't try and send anyone a surprise pizza. So, like, you can't buy a pizza for them and send it to their house. Because uh, a whole $500 fine will actually be sent to you because of that. What? Oh, my gosh. So you got to make sure you have the right address. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So have you guys ever sent a pizza to someone else? No. no. Like, as a joke, they just randomly get a pizza? That would be funny, but no. I wish. Yeah, I'd be mad if I got a pizza and they're like, hey, that's 25 bucks. Be like, Is that illegal here? Uh, well, nowadays, they make you pay for it. Yeah, at before the time you the order, mostly. It's illegal um, in Louisiana. I guess there are some people that pay at the door, but... And it's only illegal funny. in Indiana. Louisiana. Louisiana. Okay, so... Okay. We got to do this one day here soon. <laughs> for it's yeah. illegal in Utah. Don't do it do to it. us. <laughs> Don't do it to us. Right. Why not? <laughs> so, another... I mean, I will tell you our plans. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. Um, anyways, thank you for further. Uh, anyways, go on. <laughs> oh, Clover. But, so. What? In New Jersey, it's actually illegal to wear a bulletproof vest while committing a crime. <laughs> you oh gotta even the odds. It's they need to be able to shoot you. Yeah. So you will be you'll be charged with what you did, and on top of that, you'll be charged with um, a, additionally for trying to protect yourself against bullet wounds. On top of the crime you oh committed. Oh my gosh. I wonder like if that's like a misdemeanor or I wonder how serious. That oh, is no. crazy. Mm-hmm. That is interesting though. Yeah. Pretty weird. And the next one actually, it's actually really funny. So you can't play more than five hours of bingo in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> A bingo? <laughs> I like bingo. There's a limit. On and it bingo. is also illegal to be intoxicated while playing bingo there, too. <laughs> That's a serious game, you know? You gotta have your wits about you. Bingo gets boring after a while. Not when you're drinking. Yeah, and having true. fun and winning real money. True. Mm, okay. You've never played a serious good game of bingo. We'll have to do this one day. Uh, not any day soon. Well, I'm it's not under age. Yeah. We gotta wait a while. <laughs> Unless we go to where was it, Ty? Louisiana? No. No. <laughs> North Carolina is where the bingo lot is. I know, but it'd be the culinary one. We could just all be in culinary school, and Tyler and Clover could just yeah. spit it out. Yeah. Yeah, they did it out. <laughs> okay, Ty, what's next? All right. So the next one is if you're over 14 years old, you cannot trick-or-treat in um, Chesapeake City, Virginia. Chesapeake. Chesapeake City, well, Virginia. Huh? That one's just sad. 
Why that specific area? Do you, do you know? They've just made no. it a law. They want to keep it for kids. And but... it says you oh, have to be, you can only be accompanying a child. You cannot engage in the trick-or-treating yourself. <laughs> oh my God. Very strict trick-or-treating law. That is. Wow. <laughs> Someone got really mad. A group of teenagers came to their house. Mm -hmm. Wow. But also, <laughs> another law on top of that is that there is an age, there's a time limit to where you can only be out till 8 p.m. <gasps> You're <laughs> kidding! On Halloween and trick-or-treating. That ruins on it! Mm -hmm. That can sucks. You, oh my gosh, I know! When I was a kid, I swear we were out till like 1 in the morning. Yeah, same. But like all night. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, then and we you were would like, oh yeah. And we would Sorry. like, we would go to a house, and if it had something good, we would go down to the bottom of the road and change our mask and go again. And we would do oh this my like, gosh. we would do this like four or five times. <laughs> yeah, we I'm were sure professional. You figured out. We were professional <laughs> trick or treaters. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Pretty <laughs> handy. Yeah. All right. And the next one actually is really funny to me. In Vermont, women must get permission from their husbands to be able to get false teeth. <laughs> what? False teeth? Why? <laughs> it's not an enforced law, but it just hasn't been overturned, and it's still in their law legislation. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, honey, honey, my teeth have been hurting me. It's like... I wonder if the dental offices, like, or, you know, whoever does the false teeth, if they actually make the husband sign a release or no, something. No, she, she said it's not enforced, but it's still on the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think if it was my practice, because it's still technically a law, yeah. you know, I just don't have a practice there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just move, Amber, move. I'm like, eh, no, I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> this one, though, really funny, out there, no idea how this got passed at all, but in Washington, it's illegal to kill Bigfoot. It should be! Bigfoot? <laughs> it's illegal to yeah. kill Bigfoot in uh -huh. Washington. They passed the law in 1969 deeming slaying a Bigfoot to be a felony and punishable by five years in prison, but the law was later amended designating Bigfoot was an endangered species. Oh! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, as it should be. Like, what did Bigfoot ever do to you? So You've true. never hurt a fly. I know. Have you ever heard a Bigfoot actually causing damage or harm to someone? No, never. So I'm going to leave the Utah one for last. Oh, do, do, do. So in Texas, you can get married by proxy. Yeah, yeah. What? So they do that in like prison, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can have someone stand in for you and say that I do's. Yep. And in Texas, your it's totally illegal. Yeah. Have you guys That's heard crazy. of that? That's insane. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, no, no, no. It happens. There must be, like, some additional documentation and things that have to happen for that to work. Oh, because I'm sure. And I think, like, there has to be, like, some situation where you absolutely cannot be there. That's why they do it in prison, because the 
soon-to-be spouse can't come in behind the bars and everything and do the wedding. So they have someone just stand in for them. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this one in South Carolina, the law was reappealed in 2016, but it's still really funny. You cannot seduce unmarried women. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) South Carolina once made a man guilty of a misdemeanor if he seduced an unmarried woman using deception and promise of marriage. Oh, my god! Like the movie that we just saw. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, that one's funny. To the married women, you know, trying yeah, to take the ones women that are fine. Yeah, married women are fine. <laughs> Feel free, but if they're single, stay away. Oh my gosh, I love that one. Okay, so in in Rhode Island, biting off someone's limb could earn you twenty years in prison. Biting, oh, biting. Mm-hmm. You Ew. can face up to 20 years in prison if you put out an eye, slit the nose, ear, or lip, or cut off, bite off, or disable any limb or member of another. Oh my Ew. gosh. I, I wonder why I wonder why the, they made that law. Right? What happened? Like, <laughs> I want to know too. Oh I my think gosh. Rhode Island was people, just bored. People just went around biting each other's noses off and arms off. And they were like, no, we got to make this illegal. Yeah, you guys, we're going to have to quit this bad habit. You know, too many people are looking funky. So, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Awful. So, in New Hampshire, there's actually kind of a loophole. I've actually heard of this before. Pregnant woman can technically commit murder. (gasps) What? So New Hampshire passed an anti-homicide law defining a 20-week fetus as a person, clarifying that the law did not apply to pregnant women who might need an abortion. However, legislators quickly amended the law after it becoming clear that its vague language could have permitted pregnant women to commit any murder without consequences. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But no one did, right? No. Oh my gosh, that's good. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, so in Nebraska, no marriage is allowed if you have a venereal disease. (laughs) So true. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Kids, be safe. Yeah. Yeah. You might not be able to get married in Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, Ty. All right, so... I'm going to move to the Utah one, because this one is probably the only one that we'll have time for. Okay. But so, it's illegal to cause a catastrophe in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) It's illegal to cause a catastrophe. State law defines a catastrophe as widespread injury or damage caused by weapons of mass destruction, explosion, fire, flood, avalanche, or building collapse. Oh. So, if you caused any of these... You're technically committing a crime. Wow. Isn't that a crime everywhere? Yeah, but in Utah, it's... If you cause a catastrophe... Though, because, like, you mentioned avalanche, and I know... 
during the winter, certain times of year, people will accident. They're not like purposely triggering an avalanche. It's just the conditions. Well, maybe they get right? charged. Maybe they get charged with causing a catastrophe. Ooh. I don't know. But <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, we are out of time, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. That was fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.